put on the uniform and found myself. I served my country and fell in love with me. Travel the world being all I could be. God showed me here is where I'd be. Always on time. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Women Veterans Social Justice Network here on Heroes Media Group. I'm your host, Bridget. McCoy, and we have this distinguished honor of having Angela, who has uh, been a Facebook friend of mine for a number of years, here with us today, and she's going to talk to us about her military experience and her transition and the work that she's doing today. Welcome. So it's so it's such an honor to have you, Angela. Welcome. Welcome. Oh, it's such an honor to be here with you. So tell us a little bit about your we're going to jump in, everybody, because she's got so much. It's so juicy. we got to get it. into it all. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, <laughs> we want to know, you, you went in the military. First, tell us who you are. I'm so sorry. I didn't even introduce you. No. <laughs> no, my name is Angela Peacock. I live in St. Louis, Missouri. I am a female veteran from the U.S. Army. And what was your job in the military? I was a, well, the long word was multi-channel transmission systems operator maintainer, which the short shortened layman term would be like the phone company for the army so we we did all like the systems for commanders to be able to talk to each other but it was very primitive so we didn't have like internet or cell phones or anything like back in the day so you were signal if i'm correct i was oh signal yes signal yeah yeah i was signal as well that's interesting so for our listening audience you'll 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 get a, a big kick out of some things that are, some similarities with Angela and I. That's pretty much yeah. how we how we met. But, how we roll, yeah, yeah. How we roll, uh, a wonder twin power, right? So that's <laughs> a <Activate. laughs> So we um, have you in the military serving. Um, what was the time frame that you served in? So I served from 1998 to 2004, about six years, nine months, and then I was medically retired, mostly for post-traumatic stress, and so I was, like, completely out of the service in 2006. Okay, so you are a post-9-11 veteran, so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Before and so, after. Yep. Before and after. Wow, that's amazing. So your time um, spent in the military, do you, do you remember why you decided to go in? I mean, yeah. Was there, yeah. Well, tell us about that. Basically, the reason was I grew up in Ferguson, Missouri, which is a little bit outside of St. Louis. I was waiting tables from like 5.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then I would go to community college at night and I was paying for like a really crappy apartment. And just like (laughs) every day was like the same. And I was like, I'm going to go wait these tables and do room service for all these snobby pilots that are coming in from the airport make my little $80 or whatever it was, you know, drive to the bank, drop it off, go do homework. And it, I just didn't find no meaning in it. And I was like, I have to do something with meaning. Like, this is boring. I don't want to live like this. I hate my life. I need, like, adventure. I've always been, like, a person that was engaged with, like, leadership stuff or, mm-hmm. you know, ambassadors or student council. You know, like, I was always involved right. in stuff in school. And I was just like, this is not me. I need to go do something. So in the back of my mind, it was my grandparents had served both of them were in world, during World War II. My grandma was an air traffic controller, and my grandpa was a sheet metal worker over in Germany. So it was always in the back wow. of my head, like, that's what your grandparents did. Like, you could do that, too. 
you know. So just one day I was just walking to the grocery store. Well, I kept – I always went to the same grocery store, and there was armed forces recruiting, like, right next door. So I would see that, like, repeatedly. And it was just, like, calling my name, calling my name. So I just went in one day, and I was like, where do I sign? And he's like, hold on, you got to take a test. I'm like, no, I'm ready to go. You know? <laughs> So, like, get me out of here as quick as you can, you know. And, of course, they, like, loved me because my scores were really high. They're like, you can have any job you want. You know, I didn't have any criminal history, nothing, you know. Like, I was right. clean as a whistle. You so, like, Yeah, so they were, like, rolling out the red. And I was a female. Like, here's the red carpet, yeah. you know. But, yeah. Uh, so I got out of there pretty quick, you know, and I was just ready to go. That's how wow. I decided to join. Yeah. Wow. So your family were supportive because you were you were a military family you know, just in general, you had yeah, that that yeah. history, and yeah. and so your friends, um, did they freak out? Because I oh, know God. most they people completely freak out. <laughs> they completely freaked. They didn't believe me. They were like, "No way!" Right. I was kind of like, I was like in the group of people in high school. I was like considered a freak or whatever. You know, so I would like, dye my hair purple and wear bell bottoms, yeah. hot pink, hot pink, yeah. uh, high high tops. You know, weird stuff like that. And uh, yeah. so. They uh they were like, you're not doing that. There's no way. And then I was like, you want me to prove it? And G.I. Jane had just come out, like, during oh that year. God. So I shaved my head because nobody oh believed God. me. But in, in wow. hindsight, it was hilarious because I was like, it was so easy maintenance, like, in boot camp. Mm-hmm. So, like, I took mm-hmm. a two-minute shower and I was done. Right. You know? But then it, it started growing back and the drill sergeant was like, I'm going to call you TWA. And I said, why? And they said, for teeny-weeny afro. <laughs> <laughs> so... It was cool, but I didn't have the best hair, you know. Right, right. So you, so were you at Fort Jackson and Fort Gordon, yep, or where did you? Exactly. Yeah. Those were exactly. those were my places. That's where I that's where I trained uh, okay. and everything. That's crazy. And yeah. so you, um, we we probably crossed paths somewhere. Yep. <laughs> well, no, probably. you were in the nineties. You were in the night in the late nineties. Yeah. I was out by then. Late so, so oh, wow. you, did you stay in Hollywood, or were you in Tank Hill? At Fort Jackson. Do I don't remember. remember. I can't remember that. Yeah, if you know. were in a in old World War, what is it? It was old World barracks. War Two barracks, right off at the top of the tank, and there was down at the bottom there was like a little PX. You were in Tank Hill, but if you were in the brick building, the the, the brick. It was the brick at the bottom. Of then the you were in Hollywood. Yeah, oh boy, you were in Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> we called it <laughs> Hollywood, like Hollywood because right. We called it Hollywood because they. Uh, Cause it, it was when I went in, it was like new air quotes new barracks, and so that that was like the the joke was that it was Hollywood because it was cause all of the older barracks were like the screen door like from your great grandma's house, yeah. you know, that hit the door and it was the old wooden. Um, yeah. So huh. so yeah, that's interesting. Um, for the listeners, you'll find as you listen through these different podcasts that uh, many of us at different times in our lives have served um, in the same places, but just at different times. And so yeah. there, there's all okay. of this connectedness that, you know, happens, even though we're not necessarily the same age or the same yeah. era or, the, you know what I'm saying, or the same yep. uh, MOS experience. even. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there's some, some very deep similarities that, you know, bring us together. And so it's funny because we've been Facebook friends, Probably like ten years now. Yeah, easy, something easy. like ten that. Years. I don't even remember how we met, other than I, I don't. I think back in ten years ago on Facebook, it was like you added friends and then you made new friends by adding their friends. So it's probably yeah. something like that. We were running in the same circle, 
But then Are you a gamer? Military... Did you play the games? Oh, no, not Social really. Okay, okay, okay. I think I it was just the women veteran circle that I had infiltrated mm-hmm. somehow, and then <laughs> I just got to know you that way. That was it. Susan. It was probably Susan. Something, something, something yeah, Susan of Ace Smith. So that's the funny thing about um, being in the community of social media because people think it's the devil or something. But actually, if you if if you have the right intentions, you can use it for good. And a lot of um, our community um, who didn't know each other, you actually used it for good um, yeah. after we decided, you know, after we left the military. Mm-hmm. And so tell us a little bit about what that looked like for you leaving the military. I mean, the parts that you want, you feel comfortable sharing. Sure. Yeah. Well, it was, it was really rough. Um, I think I'm still recovering and still transitioning. I don't think it ever ends, but what happened to me was that I, I was given a, okay, let me back up a little bit. So when I was on my deployment in Iraq, I got extremely sick, like immediately. So I, I went from like 140 pounds and muscular and physically fit to 100 pounds. <clears throat> you could see all my bones, my cheekbones, my ribs. Everything I oh, ate wow. would come right out. I got nosebleeds wow. and fevers and fainting and like gastrointestinal, everything you could think of. And I kept doing convoys like that like extremely sick. I should not have been running around like that. Okay. So not only did I fear for my life of like IEDs or mortars or rockets or whatever, but then I'm also like physically ill on top of it. And so I would like literally when we would go on a convoy in the morning, I would like tuck my bed sheets in and clean up everything around my room, just thinking like, I'm not going to make it. Like I'm probably going to die today. So like, don't leave a mess. And so like that just really messed me up. You know, like, I was, like, walking the line between life or death, not only in a war zone, but, like, also, like, physically ill. So I kind of had, like, made up in my mind, like, I'm probably going to die in Iraq. I'm never going to see my family again, and that's just the way it is. But because, like, I was trapped. Like, I couldn't – they wouldn't let me leave theater. They said I was mission essential. There was no, like, uh, health treatment in Iraq. So the only thing I had was, like, they gave me, like, a stool sample, but they said we can only test for, like, worms and stuff because we don't have any equipment. And then they gave me, like, ibuprofen, and that was literally it. And so I was like, I'm going to die. Like, that's just what's going to happen. So I got a new commander. She took one look at me and was like, you're going to die. You have to go. And I was like, I know, but they wouldn't let me leave. So then I was medically evacuated after six months, like, almost to the day. And when I got to Germany, the next day, my convoy was hit. So the convoy that I was supposed to be on was hit. And so my soldier came back on a stretcher. He was unconscious. He went through surgery. The nurses told me to come back in a couple of days. So I came back, and he was, like, awake and coherent. He told me the story, and basically, you know, the night he went off, and a rock had gone through the truck into his back and lodged itself in his colon. So they had to remove, like, this huge portion of the colon. So he's telling me the story, and I just felt myself, like, snap. I was like, I can't hear one more thing that's tragic. Like, I just cannot handle one more bad thing. I can't. I cannot. So I left his room, I walked down the hallway, I saw a sign that said psychiatry, and I was like, well, that's where you're supposed to go for help. So that day, I think, was like a very, that decision to seek help kind of hurt me, because what happened after that was like a cascade of medication for the next 13 years. At one point, I was on 17 medications. In total, it was more than 50 for pain and, and you know, uh, post-traumatic stress and sleep and, and then other drugs to, like, treat the side effects of those drugs. So what that mm. did to me is, like, basically stalled my healing process because I was not coherent enough 
to like do therapy in a meaningful way. I mean, at times right. I was, at other times I wasn't, but I, I, so when I got home, let me think, I think in two, by 2006, so I got out 2004, by 2006, I was on 17 medications. I was part of the opiate epidemic before it even knew had a name. So I had an opiate addiction. Um, and then I went through like a series of rehab. I lost my marriage. I lost my army career, not because of the addiction, but because of the post-traumatic, you know, and whatever. Okay. Yeah. And, and then I um, went through like <clears throat> detox like four times. And I finally was like, you know, I had just got to get off this crap. And I found a doctor who was like, who put you on all this stuff? He was a VA doctor. And I was like, well, you guys did. And he's like, well, you need to come in the hospital tonight. And like, we're going to take you off a bunch of this. So I, you know, I got down to like seven. And so then it was like, mm-hmm. I don't know, for years, I, tr- I I didn't leave my house for four years. Then I got a service mm-hmm. dog. I tried riding, which is how I met you, Brigitte. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, I was like, I need something to like process like what happened to me. You know, as the clarity started coming and the drug haze started lifting, mm. I tried riding and then I did like horse therapy. I did every freaking yeah. kind of therapy you can think of, like CBT, yeah. CBT, DBT, every tea there is, you know, and, and like honestly, I'm not laughing. I, forgive no, me if it's just the way that you tell the story, your narrative, but yes. yeah. Yeah, keep so going, keep I just, going. I just kept. I just kept getting worse and I mm-hmm. could not understand. Like I, it was like you're watching life and you're like, I want to be a part of that, but you don't feel like you're a part of it. But they kept saying to me that that's your post-traumatic stress. So like I believe that, but in a way that was very gaslighting because I'm like, why don't I have yeah. loving feelings towards other people? Why don't, why don't I want relationships with other people? And they just kept saying like, that's your post-traumatic stress. But now that I'm like off of all the medications, I'm like, no, that wasn't, me, that was the freaking meds that were doing that to me, putting a barrier between me and my life. And like yeah. for some, for some, they need that. That's useful. But I didn't know that that's what's going to be the effect. Yeah, that's powerful. Everything. So, you know, everything. And I, that's, I think that's why we ended up being wonder twins. I don't, I don't even remember how all that stuff started, but yeah. so much of what you went through, I understood it. I didn't go through it in the depths of, you know, how you went through it, but I, you know, I experienced that and I don't think anyone ever articulated it as well as you did for me. Like yeah. each thing with the medications and having to come off of them and fighting to, you know, get better, but not knowing what was going on and trying to yeah. figure all that out and then the withdrawals and you know, and mm-hmm. people saying it's this thing and you need to, yeah. like for me it was, you need to lose weight and I yeah. was like, well, that's great. I don't feel any different. I lost 30 pounds. Oh, you need to yeah. lose more. Yeah. Okay, I lost more. I don't feel any different. And it was always some other thing. And mm-hmm. when I finally woke up from the haze, kind of like what you were talking about, it was like I had instituted all of these different modalities of, yeah. of, of care. So I became a subject matter expert because of just yeah. sheer resilience, not because I was yeah. like, this brilliant person who knew what to do and tell people yeah. what to do. It's like, I tried this. This is, yeah. this helped me at this stage of my life. I tried this. This helped me at this stage. So yeah. everything that you're saying is so important because there are going to be a lot of listeners who um, have never had it articulated for them. Yeah. Because that feeling of being separate, some of it is PTSD. Yeah, a very small amount of it. At the same time, the bigger part of it is all of the freaking medication yeah. that I was on 
30 or 40 medications as well. I had a timer yeah. that went off to tell me when to, you know, mm-hmm. okay, it's time to take your meds. So you can't have a life. You can't leave no. without a big old, big old bag of, you know, drugs, yeah. you know. Yeah. And you look crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, trying to go and, somewhere and really, with all of that stuff, you know. And really, that's what I mean about transitioning is because, like, yeah, it's yeah. terrible. But, like, my life became I am a patient. Like, that yeah. was my identity. My identity went from military veteran to patient and disabled mm-hmm. person. So, like, my life revolved around going to doctor's appointments, telling people what was wrong with me, them tell, them reinforcing that there was something wrong with me, then giving me a pill for that, me dealing with side effects, and being separate from my life. And like I said, some people need that. I don't. I did not know that was what was happening, though, because it's almost like you're you're just like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I want help. I want to feel better. So I go to the doctor, and this is what you do. But yes. Now I'm in the transition of I am not a patient anymore. I am more than that. I always was more than that, and I need to like unbrainwash myself that there's something wrong with me. But that is not yeah. in the process. Oh my gosh! And there's no one helping to reinforce that. No, there are very no. few clinicians. I, I think I might have one of the last. Maybe there might be three in the country, but who are saying <clears throat> that was that was? I almost had a nervous breakdown. My my clinician asked me that. She says, what are you going to do when you're not a patient anymore? When you're not thinking about your, <laughs> when you're yeah. not, you know, when you're well enough to not need to be here every right. week, two or three times a week. And I was like, yeah. you are crazy. I literally yeah. was like, you're crazy woman. They yeah. sent me to the wrong person. I was like, mm-hmm. do you see me? Like I had a nerve, I mean, I had a panic, yeah. yeah, I had a panic attack in her office. She said, no, 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 just let's work through this. I was like, I don't want to work through this. I think you're nuts, you know. <laughs> I said, yeah. you know, I have PTSD. I just right. came to the realization that I have PTSD. I'm finally reckoning with that because it took like three years to finally agree with the doctors that I had PTSD because I was like, no, it's mm-hmm. got to be something else. Yeah. And so here she was saying, you know, do you have hope for the future? I was like, what's the future? I'm not, I, I got to come to the VA. I've got to take medication, and I've got to live whatever that's life what I have left. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that's deep. That's some deep stuff. Yeah. So tell us how, because because you, you've got like a billion degrees and you've been awarded a billion different things. Okay. Tell us a little bit of all that about that because you start you started like some different programs and you know spearheaded. Uh, some different things. So t- tell us about that because I, I want to yeah. talk about that. Yeah. So I was in school. So wait, well, I should back up that they didn't want me to go to school. They said that I was too sick, that I was too sensitive to stress. I wouldn't be able to handle it. So rehab denied me to go to school. And then they put me in independent living for two years. And I had to graduate from there to earn my way into school. So like I've been trying to go to school or in school for the last 10 years. It's a very right. long time. Then I was on like reduced, <laughs> yeah. Then I was on, like, reduced work tolerance where the doctor said you can only take two classes, that's it. And, you know, I'm grateful for that because I literally could not handle more than that. Okay, so I had to build my way up, and that was part of my transition. But also part of my way to, like, self-medicate was, like, I have to throw myself into school and, like, focus on that. Because when I sit by myself and I think about what I've been through, I can't handle it. So it was kind of, in a way, like, healing for me to go to school and to, to create programs or whatever. But anyway, so... What happened was I went to the community college, and I kept seeing, like, stickers in the parking lot that said, like, U.S. Army, U.S. Marine Corps. And I was like, who are all these veterans that I don't know? I want to, like, get to know them. 
So basically, long story short, I, I started a small student veteran organization at the community college. And what year was that? 2011. Mm-hmm. And then pretty quickly, we grew to like 80 people. The first meeting, I just said to the, you know, the whole group, I said, one of our long-term goals is to like get a student veteran's lounge. And by the end of the day, the president of the school gave us a lounge. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, this is like really cool, you know? So then I transitioned from community college. I graduated with an associate. I went to, like, the Harvard of the Midwest, which is Washington University in St. Louis. <laughs> so I attended the night and evening program, and really there was nothing for veterans there. I tried to get engaged with their student veteran group, but it was literally, like, two members. There was a year that I was the only member, and it's just like we just had to keep it going until more people joined us. So then when I got to the graduate level, level uh, I, I graduated um, with a bachelor's in psychology, and then I applied at the social work school for masters and I really didn't think I'd get in and I didn't think I'd be able to do it because I literally could not handle school like the stress of it even going half time was like mm-hmm. all I could handle like I didn't have a social life I couldn't you know I at times I had people help me cook or like walk the dog mm-hmm. because I literally took like my concentration is so bad that it would take me like a whole day to read something that takes another person like an, an hour you know right. so it's mm-hmm. like it was not easy but anyway so graduate level well, I think the year before graduates, so like my senior year, I ran for secretary of a campus-wide student group. And so wow. I helped with – that's when we started, like, just making us a big name. We got, like, one of the senators came. We had some judges speak for Veterans Day. And then it was like the campus started taking notice because really, like, veterans wasn't a thing because it's yeah. like our the population of veterans on campus was like 1% or something. It's like we were just some minority group that nobody cared about. So then we started inviting these big-name politicians that the school couldn't even get, and they were like, who are these people, you know? So then, so then uh, my wow. first year at master's level, we invited Tammy Duckworth, Senator Tammy Duckworth, who, you know, is a female veteran wounded in combat, and we, me and her shared the same stand in Baghdad mm-hmm. at the same time. We figured that out. So she came and joined us, and Robert McDonald, which is former secretary of the VA, he, he came that year. And then the next year, we won Chapter of the Year with Student Veterans of America. And then the year after that, I, I was one of the finalists for Student Veteran of the Year for Student Veterans mm. of America. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just the part of my healing was to be around my people. And that was the avenue that I found to do that. And I just, I love Student Veterans. It's like one of my favorite you, groups of people to hang out with, you know. Didn't you do a legislative um Oh, yeah. Or something as well? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, then I did a VFW. Okay. I love this This one. This, I think this is my favorite education experience, was that I did a VFW Student Service America uh, legislative fellowship. So it's basically a semester-long study. I actually and added an independent study at my school, so I got out of, like, the normal mental health class so I could focus on my area. But each veteran picks a policy area that affects veterans' health or education or benefits. So my focus was on over-medication and over-prescribing and the lack of de-prescribing, which means doctors put people on meds, we don't know how to get them off, in the veteran population and how that relates to the suicide epidemic. So I focused Mm -hmm. primarily on benzodiazepines, which are Ativan, Valium, Clonopin, and Xanax. And we got to fly to Washington, D.C. We had to pr- pr- produce, like, a research paper, a congressional research paper, a policy brief, um, some handouts, some takeaways, a one-pager. And we basically pitched our policy area to, like, <clears throat> the people that are the gatekeepers where policy mm-hmm. comes in to Congress. And then we got to meet with, like, uh, Representative Takano from California. Mm-hmm. I went to all the legislators I could find that were even 
remotely interested in the topic to try to work collaboratively with them. It was an awesome experience. If any female student veterans, you know, want to do this, like if you're enrolled in college, I think that's the only requirement and you had to be, you have to be a member of BFW. But it's freaking amazing. I learned so much. I think I learned more in that than I learned in some of my classes at the master level for policy. <laughs> I got to do it. You know, I got to. Yeah. This is my passion. This is my lived experience. <clears throat> I bring all my own research to the table, and I get to do it in action and watch people listen to me when I say, like, this is the problem. Right. So it was super cool. Experiential learning is an amazing thing. Most people don't realize uh, that <clears throat> the WVSJ, we've been doing experiential learning for 11 years. And then I didn't even know that's what we were doing. And I went yeah. to college and then I found like a, like I'm t- saying to everyone about language, like you learn what, you know, having someone to tell you what you're doing. You're like, wow, this is what I'm doing. I didn't know this is, I'm, I'm doing policy. Oh, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's policy. <laughs> and that's the thing that we miss, I think, as veterans. Cause we didn't necessarily have mentors you know, leading us out of the military, you know what I'm saying? And saying like, yeah. this is, these are the different areas that you can be a part of and you can learn and you can do all this stuff. So like, you know, I bootstrapped it, but I didn't have the yeah. language, but we did the stuff. And then people like, yeah. like you are out there, you're doing it, but you have the language. And so it's like, we have to kind of merge those two. Same as you. Together, I, like, I, I, yeah, I didn't even know. I took a class over the summer, like last summer. It was called Community Organizing. And I was like, mm-hmm. I just want to take this class. I need an elective. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Like in the first day of class, I'm like, holy crap, I've been a community organizer. I didn't know that's what I was mm-hmm. doing. Exactly. That's what you're doing. I didn't even know. I was like, there's a word right. for that? Okay. Cool. There's a word for it. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Thanks. And policy. I didn't know I was doing policy for like 10 years. And when I helped, like, I helped pass a service dog law from Missouri, I was like, oh, that's policy and that's lobbying? I had no idea. Storming the hill. What you did, you went, you stormed the hill or you did a fly-in. You know, all of those terms, I'm like, I'm sitting there like, wow, no wonder people are excited when I come in the room. I'm like, I didn't know why they were excited. You know, you're You're like like a big deal. Well, you're a big deal as well. That's why we, that's why we hang. That's why we're wonder twins. Exactly. <laughs> we get we get it done. Like we see we a get problem, we go fix it, and we bring yeah. people together, and that's we're doers. You know, we're not doers. Talkers. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the big things I think um, is different about most of the people that I have on the call. You know, have on the discussions, recorded discussions for this podcast. What people, you know, there are a lot of people out here in the community doing stuff, and I love them, and that's great. And I sometimes I feel like they see what I'm doing, they think that they can duplicate it, and that's great too. I'm like, is we there's a billion processes and you know millions of organizations and millions of people yeah. need resources. Let's do it. But I feel like at the end of the day, we have the secret sauce. There's no one highlighting. I'm like the the, the veteran women's cheerleader. There's nobody highlighting. The yeah. philanthropy that women veteran are doing. People want to drive us into their organizations as outreach specialists and things like that. But we are, you know, doing policy. We're community organizers. We're, you know, doing the the, the big heavy lifting things. We don't necessarily need a title to do it. Yeah. But when I yeah. talk to women veteran and they're spending, you know, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, a thousand, two thousand hours a year volunteering, I say, baby, you're not a volunteer. You're a philanthropist. You're giving your yeah. time, your talent, your resources, and you're doing it at such a level, you're shifting the trajectory of the lives of people for the next seven generations. 
you're not a volunteer. And so I think that that's the one thing that we, you know, you are doing, I'm doing, other women veterans are doing. We're actually, you know, we're not being paid for this work. Uh, people need to hear that part, that this is not yep. paid work. You were donating your time and talent to do this stuff. Even the work that yep. you're doing now, that's you volunteering. You know, philanthropy. Yep. I mean, if you were uh-huh. Steve Jobs or you know um, any you know anybody that you know big name person giving millions of dollars to people, then they would say you're a philanthropist. But based on your net worth and your and all of the things that you've accomplished, you're still in that realm. And so, yeah. tell us a little bit because I don't want to fangirl you too much. But oh, tell us a little bit. <laughs> tell us a little bit about the um some of the speaking engagements that you've had because you have um a lot of um I have had a lot of opportunities to speak about the benzodiazepam. Am I saying it right? Benzodiazepam. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. there all of the cha- you know challenges it creates in our community. You're listening to WVSJ, the Women Veteran Social Justice Network. Yeah, well, I think I used to speak just like from, you know, about trauma, about resilience, about my recovery process. Now I'm kind of like anti-recovery, meaning like sometimes <laughs> sometimes my hot messness is like normal and I need to be in that for a little while and I don't need to hurry up and get it fixed or like go to a doctor to get some pill for it. You know what I mean? Like there's a reason and there's a meaning behind all that stuff. And, like, it's okay to feel those things and not try to push them away all the time, you know. <clears throat> so I'm kind of anti-recovery now. But, um, no, I spoke, like, I have spoke about addiction, about the opiate crisis. I've done, like, a roundtable with the drug czars from the White House. We told them about the opiate epidemic in the VA. This was, like, 2009, and they didn't do anything. Or, no, I'm sorry, 2011. But they haven't done any, they didn't do anything until, like, 2016. Um, I've done, like, addiction at Columbia University. I was on a panel for that. I was on in a couple documentaries, so I've had the opportunity to speak at South by Southwest. Um, let me think. Like University of California at Irvine, UCLA, law school. Uh, I've done little local things like the Girl Scouts. I did like a little thing about girl power and like being, you know, resilient and strong and feeling your feelings and all kinds of cool stuff like that. I don't know. I just, whatever, whenever people ask, I'm like, sure. I mean, like, why not? So I just love doing it. I love talking. And I'm. everybody says, like, my gift is just vulnerability. Like, I'm really open, and I just share what happened to me, and then that gives other people permission to share what happened to them or how they feel. And I'm just, I just be myself, and I don't know. It's, just pretty, it's pretty cool. I'm just really blessed to be able to do that. That is a blessing, but it is a gift. Um, not everybody, not everyone has the ability to uh, create a space mm-hmm. where, you know, transformative work can happen. That is not... Um, an easy task. That is, that is another, that's another gift. And, and you being a social worker, I think one of the young ladies I, I was, um, interning with, she called it empathy work. Oh, I but, like it. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And, and yeah. so I, I was like, oh, that's, again, language. I learned I like something new. I was like, oh, I work, I do empathy work. Yay! You know, <clears throat> because I'm always wanting to build that narrative, allow people to have that, their narrative, that first person mm-hmm. narrative. I don't want to know, what happened to you because some uh, writer took what you said, condensed it down into three sentences, and then tell me it, and then have some reporter tell me about it. I want to hear it from Angela. Right. It's going to have a different, um, th- th- there's a different um, feel and, 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 and 
you know, tone and timbre to your voice. All of those things are important. Yeah. In this part of the, the, yeah, the communication is, yeah, the body language, the tone, the pitch, all of that is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you have, um, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because I felt like you would be able to get into the elbow deep in this, um, I've done some speaking on moral injury and how, like, on multiple levels, there's this um, feeling of, you know, being injured and then feeling a certain level of, like, regret because you, even though you were injured, you 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 came out on the other side. I mean, there's, like, all of these different um, ambiguous feelings within the veteran community related to um, trauma in uh, different types of trauma, because some of it is, you know, yeah. just the trauma of moving around, you know, 50 yeah. million, 11 times, <laughs> you yeah. know, and being yeah. deployed six, seven, mm-hmm. eight, nine, ten times in just mm-hmm. a very short amount of time, you know, time. And so um, I don't know if you have any feelings about the discussion of moral injury uh, or if you've even talked about it in some of your work. I think I think the way that moral injury differs from what they call post-traumatic stress is that, like, there's more of a trying to normalize that you had to do something really hard and it changed your the way that you view humanity afterwards, whereas post-traumatic stress is more like, you know, this co-op term by the mental health industry to be like something yeah. is wrong with you, you know, yeah. where it's like moral injury is saying, like, no, what you did was horrible and hard, and, of course, you have feelings about that. So I, one thing... And well, I'm sure we'll get to this in a minute, but I'm in another film now called Medicating Normal. That's the name of the film. But right. it's very much questioning, like, my response to trauma was actually normal. It's not a disorder. It's, yeah. I mean, how did you want me to feel? So I always say, like, when I talk now, like, post-traumatic stress is the only sane response. Mm-hmm. But I shouldn't be medicated for that and, like, become a patient for the rest of my life. It took me 15 years to figure that out, which sucks because I lost, you know, my 30s and 40s, you know, my 20s and 30s lost to medications and being a patient and going to appointments and focusing on my symptoms and having people reinforce that there was something wrong with me. So uh, I think a lot of this is about identity and who we are. And I think the narrative changes as you heal and grow and learn new things. And, you know, five years ago, I would have screamed if you told me that. No, I have, I would have been like, no, I have pushed my stress disorder and I need these medications for life and I am fucked up. Yeah. But like, shit changes. Excuse my language. It changed. No. You know? Yeah. It changed. And, uh, here I am and I'm still changing. I'm still trying to figure out like, who am I? Uh, even with all the achievements, like when I hear, I don't think, I don't think about that stuff ever. And when you said, you know, um, we're going to talk about that, I'm like, oh my God. Like, cause I've been trying to work on my confidence because all those years I thought that there was something wrong with me. I'm never going to be anything more than a patient. Like, I'm going to take these pills for the rest of my life. And now I'm like, no, Angie, you did good things. Even in the midst of that, even though you might have donated one hour of time that week, you know, Mm -hmm. or you only took two classes, but you still made it. It just took you way, way longer, you know. So it's like I'm trying to reprogram my sense of self now that, like, I'm okay, I'm not in the military. I'm not a patient, but who am I now? And that's another transition. Identity is crazy it mm-hmm. is it and it's so fluid like like when people are talking about you know gender fluidity and all this and i'm like yeah. i i get what that means but not at yeah. the same level not for the right. same area but i get it because 
like today I am the podcast person and tomorrow I may be the legislative person and then, yeah. you know, and all of these things. And, and what happens is people want to lock you into something. Oh, yeah. They want, yeah. they got a box, they got a the little Sharpie pen and yeah. they're looking at you and they're like, Okay, so you're, uh, yeah. da, 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 da. okay, I wrote it, yeah. now get in there. And you're like, no, that's not yeah. who I am. You're going to have to write a bunch of stuff on my box, you know. Yeah, exactly. And so, <laughs> and so exactly. every, every, every day I wake up, I'm like, did I like who I was yesterday? I literally mm-hmm. do this, and I do this with my coaching as well. I'm like, every yeah. day get up, ask yourself, was yesterday, was I my best self? And, yeah. and did I like what I did, you know? And if you didn't mm-hmm. like what you did, you get to change it. You get to just, yeah. it, it's going gonna, it's yeah. gonna to take some work, but you get to yeah. change it every single right. day. And so I told people, there's a, a quote, I think it's a meme, it says evolve so hard that they have to uh, get to know you again. And oh, so I'm like, yeah, right. I love it. Right. Because five years ago, I was completely a different person. And yes. even people that knew me well, I mean, just, just the coming off the medical process. Like, I'm clearer. Mm. I mean, I'm not well. I don't feel well. I, I feel like I have some permanent damage from all those meds. But, yes. like, who how I think about myself is different. You know, things I put my time and energy into. My personality is back almost, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm like, you, if you knew me five years ago, you don't know me now. It's just completely yeah. different. And so... So you can use that because I think I took it from somebody else. I don't even know who, who wrote like it. it. I'm totally so, feeling that. <laughs> I know. But I, I know. Don't don't mess around and get attacked because I'm thinking about doing that. I, no, I'm I really won't. Thinking I about won't. <laughs> you don't with tattoos, okay? But you yeah. you had some beautiful body work. Um, wasn't it like an elephant or something? Yeah, I have Ganesh. Ganesh. Ganesh is like the overcomer of obstacles in the yeah. Hindu religion. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Stuff like that. Yep. And so are you um still so so it, writing the writing part of your life are you still involved in writing and doing written narrative work or any anything like that? Yeah, I well, I in college that was one way I made it through is that I would take like a really hard class and then a writing class just to like mm-hmm. keep myself on even keel, you know, it was kind of like my medicine a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I managed to get a few little pieces published, and it was I never expected that to happen. But uh, that happened, and then, like, right now, I'm what's happening next is that I'm leaving in an RV from St. Louis. My lease ends on December 7th, and I'm like, okay, I need, I need time away. I need breathing space. I feel like I need a lot of healing, you know, on my own, not necessarily, like, with a therapist or anything. I just need to be off in the woods by myself for a little while, and I want to write a book. <laughs> So I'm right, right, right. get on the road. We're going to be touring the country with doing film screenings with the film pretty soon. But uh, while I'm out there on the road in my hotel wheel, hotel room on wheels, <laughs> I'm going to be writing, hopefully, and I'm, I have a little YouTube channel. It's called, if you want to follow it, it's called Being Human RV because I just want to be back to being a human being, you know, instead of a patient right. or a a student or a veteran or whatever the identity happens to be. But so, yes, I plan on doing more writing. I've done some recently and just uh, I've published a few things like on this website called Mad in America. That kinda oh, wow. is, it, it's called it's called Mad in America, social justice, psychiatry, wait, psychiatry and social justice or something. I don't know. So it's mm-hmm. all about like people challenging the status quo mental health system and different writers and ideas and ways to think about 
you know, mental quote unquote illness in different ways. So I have a couple pieces up there and they have a new veteran section. So if there's veterans that want to submit things that would be a good place to submit it about your own treatment or lack thereof or what you think about suicide or addiction or whatever. Oh, that is awesome. So Mad in America, it's some, so our listeners can Google that or is it, uh, yeah. is, yeah, do you have Google. a handle for it? Okay. Yeah, or and it's then, madinamerica.com, madinamerica.com. Yeah. And then your YouTube channel, Being Human, Art yeah. and RV, um, and so is that, is, is they, tell us how to find that as well. Yeah, if you just go on YouTube and put in search for Being Human RV or I think it's like youtube.com slash being human RV and then I have a Facebook page where I'm posting every single day like today like yesterday I posted today we replaced the batteries and wired it in a series and we did this cool stuff and then I replaced this and this and that so you get to see like the process of like how did I minimize my life move into an RV you know so I'm doing like a daily vlog and a little bit of writing here and there like during the process but yeah those are the two places I would say Facebook or YouTube being human RV Wow, I am professionally jealous of you because that wow. I've been talking about doing that for about five years. Let's I was do like, it. Gonna, You're not getting any younger. Let's oh go. my God, I, I I have talked about it, talked about it. I was like, I'm gonna tour, I'm gonna get an RV and I'm gonna take my video and do all do this it. stuff. And then yeah, and it's that just haven't happened. I'm just gonna live vicariously through you. I think oh, that's right. it. Are you? I was gonna say, come pick me up. We'll do a couple yeah. days together, and then and then I'll, I'll get that out of my system. I think. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, the best part is because this work we can do mobile. I can do a little bit of advocacy on the road. You know. Yeah. Maybe if I yeah. if I feel better enough that I feel like I could work like more. You know, I'm, I'm just not consistent or reliable right now. But if I yeah. was, like, I could do grant writing from the road or something like that. Yeah. You know, so I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get there. But, you know, it's a process and it takes a while. But that's part, of, takes. that's part of the PTSD part. And I have to explain to people. People think, like, oh, you get so much done. I'm like, but there's a lot of moments that I'm just sitting staring out of a window because that's yeah. all I can do. Exactly. I cannot do anything else. Um, yep. So while I am working, that's why I'm at a fever pitch. Like, oh, we've got to get yeah, stuff done because I'm feeling good today. Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah, that's and we the problem. Get, right. Yep. And so <clears throat> finding that balance, um, I think, has been the hardest part. I'm still working to find the balance in all of that. Balance. I think it's BS. <laughs> There's no there is no balance. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But no, I, no I think the term that I was given, because I have to, I have a lot of migraine issues and I have like low yeah. low grade seizure activity and I have problems with like lights and sound and uh, okay, Wonder Twin, just, it's horrible, yep. right? Yep. So so part of that, so the label that the name that somebody told me is Angie, you're using disability management. So it's like disability when I feel okay, management. yeah. So it's like when I'm at home and everything's quiet and the lights are out. Like, I might be able to work for an hour. I can't, like, read. I can't read, like, large blocks of text. I do everything on audio. I have to record yep. my notes. Like, I can't, I have to do all these strategies that, yep. you know, no job is going to put up with me. And then you miss, like, three to five days of work per month because you are in bed with vertigo or something. Like, you know, I can't. So I'm not consistent. But so it's like you just have to find all these strategies to manage and figure out, okay, when can I do something, you know. And then one maybe one week it's an hour. Maybe another week it's five hours. And then I just work around. I just have to do what I can do when I can do it, you know. And some days I cancel everything and I stay in bed. And that's that is the way it is. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you know. And you people know. don't think that you. No. So, 
you, you know what I'm saying? It's hard to yeah. explain that to people because they see the output. And so some yeah. of that output is military training. Some of that is that, that, that get, you know, resilience, get it done kind of thing. At yeah. the same time, we don't show our weaknesses. Yeah, we isolate. Why we say yeah, and we we show what we want you to see. I'm not going to tell yeah. you about my bad days. And really, if you're listening to my list of accomplishments, you don't hear me say like, "Oh, I did the VFW Legislative Policy Fellowship," but at the same time, I had to hire a dog sitter and someone to cook my meals and clean my house, right. and like was was you know listening to audiobooks on my way to school because I couldn't read. Like right. I, for me to do that is like a Herculean effort. Like it's not you know, a little thing, but the way that my symptoms, I don't even like to use medical language anymore, but the symptoms that I have now, it's like, I don't, I can't sit at home and just sit there. My anxiety is so bad that it's like, it drives me. It's like my, my way to deal with or cope with anxiety is to like do as much stuff and keep busy and distracted as much as possible. And like, that's not really a good thing. Like my achievement is kind of like a byproduct of my disorder. It's your medicine. It's the medicine. I tell people that 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 work is a medicine. It's not healthy, but it is literally the medicine. I do it three times a day to get it to get through every day. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I think I'm setting myself up for burnout quite a few, you know, I, I, there's times where I'm like, I can't think about veteran stuff one more. Don't just get away from me. I can't even see it in my feed. I'm over it. And like, I set myself up for burnout, you know, and then like somebody will ask me for help and I'll be like, get away from me. I can't, I don't want to talk to another human. I don't want to talk to you about that. Yeah. So it's like balance. (laughs) Like here I am blowing this whole interview. Like, Hey everybody, newsflash, nobody's perfect. And if you act like you are, there's something wrong with you for real. But no, right. it's it's hard. But even, even oh, I want to say one more thing, is that I even use school as like a survival. I mean, mm-hmm. this is going to sound terrible. I can't believe I'm going to admit this to you. But like when I got to grad school, I was one year off the of meds, and I had been having suicidal thoughts for like 22 mm-hmm. months. And I thought mm-hmm. to myself, like, Angie, you can't stay at home. Because like if you're home, you're probably right. going to kill yourself. And so I was like, right. okay, so I'm going to go to this school, and I have no idea how I'm going to do this because I can't barely read. But like... I'm going to look at it like it's some kind of like brain rehab because I just came off the meds. I need to relearn how to live. I need to relearn how to read and be social and talk to people and like be in the world. And so I found school is like this neuro rehab facility. It was. I had to go every day. And I'm like, I know they do. I'm sick in this. They're going to think I'm really, I've really lost it, you know, but I'm like, I'm just going to sit here and nobody had any idea because, you know, thank God we don't know what each other's thinking. But, School helped me, like, re- you know, I just had to rehab myself. So is it okay to tell tell our listeners about the Wonder Twin joke that we, I keep making? <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. They're probably wondering. So a few years ago, if our listeners, um, I, I think it was maybe over a period of time, uh, Angela was following each other over Facebook, and, like, I think she had a boot on her ankle I had a boot on my ankles she had some kind of injury I had some kind of injury. she had some kind of yeah. thing going on she ended up the doctor I had the same thing and it was it was just so funny to me and the yeah. only thing that I could think of to kind of and it's horrible because as veteran we are a bit salty and we have this really dark humor which sometimes yeah. is not the best thing but in this case it made me think about the wonder twin and so I I teased I sent her message and said wonder twins powers activate because we've had some <laughs> other experiences that are very similar and very so similar. Yeah. very very similar like parallel and so I think the first time we met in person in real life IRL 
people that we known each other that, that like we served together because we were just yeah. so in sync so and we were like so giddy and happy to see yes. each other. And, yep. and didn't I get sick at that event? I got sick, really yeah, horribly sick and ended up at the hospital at one of the- <laughs> Yeah, and I think we stayed up way too late talking and giggling. And then we were and giggling, really right? The next day. Yeah, yeah. did all that. And then my, yep. I had some kind of allergic reaction to something. That's and right. the side of my head swole up, like really yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. even seeing that. Missed some of it. Yep. Yeah, I missed, missed some of it. But it's, it's, yep. people don't realize that there are so many challenges that women veterans go through and that we yeah. just, we just, like you say, manage our disability in such a way that, you know, and we're so good at it, people think, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. But when you look at our medical chart, which oh, is God. probably, mine yeah. is probably hip high at this point if you yeah. stack it on, oh, on the floor. Yeah. It, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. You look well, at the documents. Think that's something we need to work on as far as, like, uh, bringing awareness to is that, like, we are we are talented. We are smart. We are we get things done, but like mm-hmm. the things that we do and the way that we have to do them is not what fits into like a forty-hour workweek job. No, it so doesn't. That, that's why we we give so much. We don't get paid for it just mm-hmm. to be what we're doing. It's it's terrible. Like I'm like I wish somebody would pay me for this, and then I just pay me for what. Just let me do what I got to do, you know? Because I'm helping. I just can't do it the way that society wants me to do it. Forty hours a week behind a desk. I can't even sit in a chair for longer than two hours because of back problems. You know. Yeah. So, so I don't know. It's kind of tragic that we can't transition. Well, I mean, we need to just look at some grants for workforce development yeah, and some 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 training and programs. We could do it. It's easy through WVSA. It's easy peasy. It's just having somebody to manage the yeah. the different pieces of getting that those little things done. We could get more done if everyone in the organization would be well enough at the same time. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) All of us are, yeah, yeah, all of us are, you know, managing our families, managing our health, managing, you know, like you said, the disability, uh, you know, um, like people ask me about dating. I don't know about you. I, you know, I, I date sometimes. Over a decade. No, I wish. Yeah. See, that's, that's one of my other, uh, things that didn't come back from the meds and yeah I just don't it's not there don't. right now sucks yeah yeah but see those are and see those are things that we need to talk about I mean I've yeah. tried to have those conversations I, I've gotten shut down a couple of times about talking about you know female sexual arousal disorder and oh, yeah. uh, you know we, being we compensated for that it. yeah being yep. compensated yep. at the VA level for that you know because those, those are things that are lost and mm-hmm. so uh you know, it's always amazing to me um, when you, whenever you say stuff, I go, doggone it, she's articulating exactly what I'm feeling right now, you know, and uh, even the even the going back to school and accepting a GRA position, I know that it, it, sa- it saved my life through that mm-hmm. process, like that process, like having to go to work three days a week and show up and be aware and be present and, and then do my yeah. work and do all of those things. Even though other things were going on in my life, it was like mm-hmm. it was the anchor. It was the thing. It was like a an accountability partner. It was a yeah. high level yeah. accountability partner yeah. <laughs> because you know you got a boss, you got to respond yep. to them. You got teachers. They ask yeah. you where you are, what's happening, and so yeah. I couldn't cycle out. You know how we cycle out for you know weeks and months and stuff. Yeah. You know where you where you you just when you pop back up, it's been four weeks or five weeks or six weeks. Yeah. You can't do that in grad school. You can't do that no, if you, you have can't. a job. You've no. got to stay connected. You can't just float yeah. away. 
And yep. so I might recall it. You may have a better term for it, but I call it cycling out. It's just I like it. it makes sense. Where I have to figure out that my time is, has passed. And mm-hmm. I thought, and like you talk about seizure activity, um, you know, I was diagnosed with having seizure activity years ago and fought it because I felt like it was something else. I felt like mm-hmm. this is something else. This isn't, this isn't, tr- you know, you know, traditional seizure activity. Yeah. This has got to yeah. be something connected to something else and it's secondary. Yeah. And so right. it's, it's interesting that with TBI, PTSD, it's how important it is to repass the brain, to have new um, pathways of, you yeah. know, connectedness to, to, to be able to get better and get healthier. Um, even though, even in the midst of having to manage the disability, because yeah. people think that because you're better in this one way, that that yeah. is, takes not, over and no. makes everything better in this other way. And it's like, no, it's just like being no. diabetic. You still have diabetes. You might be managing yeah. it better. Yep. <laughs> Your blood yeah. sugar go away. might it doesn't go away. You I know, it's still there. crafty ways to rearrange my life to do yes. stuff, you know, in the world, but they give me a purpose in life and meaning. But it's not easy. It's every day is hard. Every single day. I mean, this morning yeah. I was like, I don't. I want to go back to sleep. I want to go back to sleep. And I was like, No, I have to talk to Bridget. I you know. But, I'm so sorry, but so thank here you. I am, but no, cool. I'll go back to sleep later. It's fine. I know. And this, I think, this is going to be one of the um, podcasts that will really help people. I think we we have students. We have people who are in school, we have people who want to go back to school and they're like scared. Yeah. Like there's like yeah. all of these different things. I think you've hit like a bunch of different things. I'd love to have you come back cool. and talk about the documentary yeah. more. Sure. We've run out of time, but when you have some time, I'd love to have that conversation. Um, <clears throat> uh, do you have any final words that you want to leave with our listening audience? Um, I just want to say, I think that everybody listening is stronger than they think they are. There's nothing wrong with you and that you can do things that you didn't think you could do. And I'm not saying that is like some stupid, you know, like meme that you see on Facebook. I literally mean it. And there's a way and you have the inner wisdom to find that way to to get what you want for your own self-actualization. It's just believe in yourself. You can do it. Thank you. Can you give us your um any any of the, all any and all of the social media um resources so that people can find you, they can sure. connect with you? Yeah. So my email is apeacock at wustl.edu. You can follow the film. It's on Facebook, Medicating Normal. The film is the film. page will be uh, premiering probably in early January, early 2020. And then YouTube and Facebook for me would be Being Human RV. And that's it. Catch me there. Thank you so much. Thank and you. Thank you. Oh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it is awesome. I want to thank our... Um, and our sponsors, AARP Georgia, and Protect Our Defenders for helping to underwrite this this um, podcast. And I definitely want to thank our listening audience for listening. Thank you to Heroes Media Group for hosting us, and thank you to the ambassadors of Women Veterans Social Justice Network for keeping everything going. We're so appreciative of Angela for sharing her first-person narrative with us and with you. Thank you so much, everyone. Come back next week and listen. We'll have a great uh, another great podcast for you of a woman veteran who served. God showed me here is where I'd be always sometimes.